This is Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast, bringing you the latest practices in the world of fiber networks and plus architecture. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along for some thought leadership today. As we explore today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, 3-GIS.com. Again, the number 3-GIS.com for more information on our various solutions and services. And of course, for more 3GIS content, including episodes of Fiberside Chat, articles, videos, and more. You can also find Fiberside Chat on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button for a full catalog of previous conversations and notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of the show, we're hoping to provide our listeners with a better playbook for approaching, integrating, and strategizing around cloud security. High-profile cyber attacks have drawn much attention during the first half of 2021, including breaches on Volkswagen, McDonald's, Kaseya, JBS Foods, etc. And it seems when today's bad actors get leverage over enterprise-level networks or critical infrastructure, there's little companies can do but cave to their demands or just take the hit. So with our podcast today, we're aiming to paint a more hopeful picture for cybersecurity and cloud security, breaking down why strategies like shared response responsibility models, for example, go a long way for building cyber resiliency. So for insights today, I'm pleased to welcome our two thought leaders. First, we have Damien Harry Lal. He's a solutions engineer for 3GIS. Damien, great to have you on. How are you? Uh, good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, great to have you on, Damien. Thanks for joining us. And we're also joined by Keith Mokris. He's director of product marketing for Prisma Cloud at Palo Alto Networks, which is a cybersecurity company focused on cloud-based and automated solutions for consistent firewall protection. They help organizations secure their public cloud environments. Keith, great to have you on. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Thrilled to be here with Damien and you today. Absolutely. It's a real pleasure getting both of you on and sharing your insights to maneuver the current state of cloud security, what can be done to improve said security, and how both of your companies are contributing to that vision. So let's go ahead and jump in. We've got quite a bit to cover. I want to start by just getting an assessment for where the cloud is at today in terms of security and resiliency. So just to lighten it up a little bit, if you had to give a grade, right, A to F, uh, for how secure you would say the broader cloud and its infrastructure is today, what grade would you give and why? Uh, I'd, I'd say I'd give a B, um, mainly because, you know, companies that are more established in the in this framework have been here for a long time and they've fallen through most of the pitfalls and have grown consistently and kept doing the right things uh, during that time. Um, however, the newer firms that are coming into the space, they have all, they have the problem of choice and because there's so much choice available, um, they don't necessarily get to pick or have the ability to pick what is right for them moving forward. And that generally doesn't sometimes line up with the, full, with the firm's goals and needs. And mainly it's the, it's the process involved in getting there. So, you know, getting in at, at a later stage in the game is good because there's more technology available and people have tried and done things 
uh, over a, a longer period of time and failed, um, and they have more blueprints for it, but it's trying to develop that kind of understanding internally to firms uh, to start going on the right path is usually what kind of keeps them from getting to that point of the A grade. And I can certainly build on Damien's response. I think ultimately the cloud is incredibly secure if you're just looking at what the cloud service providers are delivering to their customers. But when we look at how organizations or telcos are using the cloud, that's when you might evaluate organizations based on their maturity and how they're looking at security of their applications and their environments that they're responsible for configuring and maintaining on top of those cloud stacks. Like Damien said, you have a lot of different choices in the cloud. What architectures are you going to use to power your applications, whether it's virtual machines, containers and Kubernetes or serverless? And ultimately, it's a combination of all of these different components where you have to look at vulnerabilities, their compliance status, and how you're integrating these security controls where all of these environments are constantly changing. And then at the same time, you have data storage where you want to make sure that all of your data is secured, as well as all of the other application components like your network configurations and routing that are you know vital to the overall security of your environments. So it's really the need to look at these things holistically where depending on your organization's maturity, you've got to keep working to improve your overall grade. Now, do you see this differing between the public cloud versus private cloud infrastructure? Does it have the similar level of resiliency? Uh, yes, no, why or why not? And what are some of those factors that often define the level of safety between the two types of cloud? Um, I'll hop in here. So let's, let's talk resiliency for a bit. Um, it, it is, the cloud is very resilient. Uh, we've seen most of today's uh, infrastructure is moving that way, um, mainly because of a couple of things, right? Uh, it's a low barrier to entry. Um, if you look at strictly cost, the cost savings of moving to a live deployment versus an on-prem is one of the main driving factors most of the times. Um, the ease of lifting and shifting, the ease of moving from on-prem deployments to cloud deployments have be has become exceptionally easier in the last couple of years, mainly because then now there's so much of the industry focused on moving people from internal to external and hybrid and all different sorts of deployments uh, related to cloud. You know, um, staffing. Staffing is another big but key important one for resiliency. There are tons of people coming out now that have the ability to maintain um, the cloud deployments and have the thinking. That's the key thing, I think. Have the thinking that's necessary to keep these things going and keep innovating down the same track. Um, and then the last one is scale, right? Um, it's way easier to scale in the cloud than it is to scale on-prem. Right? You don't have the problems of having to order servers and wait for them to get in and then power on cooling and heating. All, all that's already taken care of. All you do most of the times is you just pay for extra compute time. Um, on, on, the, on the holding it back part, I'd say it's, 
it's a fear of the unknown, right? Uh, traditional operating, and we've seen this uh, a lot on the telco side. Traditional engineering firms, uh, for instance, they they've always known one way to do something. I need to physically touch and keep my data within V an arm's length, um, and having it on a system that is not within my data center is extremely unnerving for them. Uh, having to relinquish some of that um, responsibility of keeping that data close by is a is a huge huge unknown for them. And it's mainly because of how they've traditionally done business um, and how they process sensitive information. Usually means, you know, you have large companies, wide implementation, um, extremely strict security rules uh, to get data moved from one part to the other part, which is harder to implement in small firms, right? So small firms uh, see, see these things as a barrier to entry because they don't have the people or the, the number of people available to, to do these kinds of movements, uh, mainly because they wear many hats. In large organizations, it's a little bit easier because they could dedicate entire departments to doing this um, and having roles and, and responsibilities streamlined, which helps along that path. But again, to me, I think it mainly goes back to mindset and how do you how do you set goals and how do you try to move the organization into preparation to hit those goals? From the public and private cloud point of view, to build on what Damien shared, I think a lot of organizations can approach security and adapting to those platforms in very similar ways because of the advantages that Damien described. And it all starts with scale and speed to market. So if I'm using these platforms, I no longer have to manage some of the infrastructure that I've previously been accompanied to. And so that means that you can reallocate different resources at your organization to move applications to these public or private cloud platforms, which really provides you a lot of differentiators. And Lift and Shift is a perfect example of that, where you're going to move an application um, or a workload from your data center and get it running on top of these new and emerging platforms. But at the same time, that's just the beginning of your cloud journey, where if you start to look at greenfield application development or application modernization efforts, where you're potentially taking advantage of some of these new architectures like containers and Kubernetes, which have certainly grown in adoption like crazy over the past several years, now you have to really look at your organization's maturity and how you can approach this scale in a successful way. So how do I make sure that I have complete visibility into what my development and DevOps teams are doing as they gravitate to these new architectures or compliance that doesn't come built in with these platforms, again, for your environments and your applications? How do you make sure that you can generate compliance reports in a timely manner for the industry regimes, either internal or external, that are really important to your organization. And again, these environments are constantly changing um, where you have to look at some new threat vectors that might seem really intimidating at first to make sure that your organization is prepared for some of those risks, threats, and again, compliance issues. So it's really kind of a, a maturity problem where there's a lot of opportunities that you can take advantage of on these platforms, but at the same time, you've got to look at some security considerations as you continue to scale. 
Let's uh, transition the conversation over to the telco industry specifically, just to get a better sense for how they've managed this distinction between public and private, but more specifically how they've tried to build out some resiliency in their cloud infrastructure. So let's just start by better understanding uh, how deep they are with cloud today. Uh, just in general, how have telcos specifically embraced or not embraced the cloud over the years? Uh, and you know, is that cloud secure? Um, and if not, what is missing as telcos um, migrate or fail to migrate? So I'll hop in here. Um, so what I see is a lot of what's been going on uh, with telcos is uh, from a from a cloud perspective. Um, there's been a huge push in customer satisfaction and how do we keep those? How do we keep hitting those five nines? So there's been a heap of automation around. Uh, language and AI and that kind of development uh, with respect to treating the customer better, having having a better customer experience, both online um, and self-help applications. Um, they've done great work in trying to get everybody down that path. Uh, for example, um, you know, let's, say, let's take T- uh, T-Mobile as one of the, the larger telcos that's doing stuff. Um, they've spent a lot of time during, during text-to-speech and a lot of work on AI. Um, so when you interact in with their bots online, you can have uh, proper uh, full English conversations or in different languages with these bots. Um, that's, one of the, that's one of the big areas they've been pushing in for a while. And it's pushed the... The adoption of cloud technology in those firms down our path. Um, more, more or less, where we operate, we operate more on the construction and asset management side. Um, that's been a little bit slower now I've seen um, to take up, mainly because it's not necessarily the telco organization that's doing the the actual push there or the data collection or the asset management. It's the engineering firms that actually go out and build. And with recent growth in 5G and uh, the push for rural broadband, uh, the race is to get fiber in the ground or fiber on poles. So what you see now is these large engineering firms having now a greater a greater push to get that um, get as many of those things constructed as fast as they can. And one of the only ways to do that is to switch to cloud-based applications that will allow them to be that much more efficient, that much more faster in doing things like developing and determining routes and getting as-built construction out into the hands of field crews so they could go do the actual construction. Um, And some of the larger firms have been gathering up some of these smaller engineering firms and having them push that way and everybody's realizing that this is the way to go. So, you know, it's been, it's been good for us. Uh, but again, it goes back to us having to look at things like shared responsibility model and how do we, how do we get these people at home with be, not being able to keep their data with them, but surrender it to a system that they have access to, but still be able to 
getting it worked on in a timely manner. I think the one word that you heard a lot from Damien was speed. And your ability to improve your time to market and release updates fast is something that we see from telcos. Um, certainly, updating their infrastructure stacks to take advantage of 5G is one of the major driving forces that Damien mentioned. And we see that a lot with our telecommunications customers, not only with Prisma Cloud, but across Palo Alto networks. And one of the key infrastructure or architectural components that they're taking advantage of on the cloud is containers and Kubernetes. Because if you can take a monolithic business application and update it to run in more of a microservices manner, you can now um, scale it in new ways, push out updates more regularly, and ultimately work with your development and DevOps partners to release updates much more frequently. So this is a trend that we've really seen emerge due to the state of remote work this year, as well as the different architecture components that telcos are really driving and providing for their customers. And I think it's important to frame this in the context of some of the high profile partnerships that we continue to see in this space. For example, Google and Ericsson are coming together to invest in new cloud solutions for telco service providers, uh, including some specific support around application migration to hopefully band-aid some of those issues. So what are your thoughts on some of those partnerships, some of those high-profile services being brought to telcos for specifically this reason? And any thoughts on what this might signal about latent opportunities around empowering telcos with cloud infrastructure? So I, I think the one thing I'd like to highlight is that you can really see this trend not only with telcos, but in a lot of different industries. Um, and I'm not an expert across all of them, so I'll speak in kind of broad strokes. But this is where all of the cloud service providers and a lot of the different infrastructure platforms that provide a lot of these services, like Red Hat OpenShift, per, for example, they want to provide all of the best capabilities they can for their customers who are building and deploying on top of their platform. And so I think what you're seeing is everyone is trying to innovate and release as many features as possible to market in response to what their customers are trying to achieve. And so you certainly see this in the telecommunication space, but also in a lot of other adjacent spaces as well. And I think it just speaks to how big the cloud has gotten and how all of these different partners across the whole ecosystem want to help them innovate. And so I think it'll be really exciting to follow all of the announcements that'll continue to come out year over year, um, like you've seen in the past couple, um, that are going to continue to be exciting for all of those companies. Yeah, I, th I think I want to, in, in addition to that, they, you know, speed is, is one of the big things. Um, it's also um, data, right? So, for instance, uh, there's a partnership between F1 recently and AWS. Um, the partnership was centered mainly around uh, F1 cars have all these sensors on them and they ingest tons of data. And what they were able to do was they were able to use machine learning based on AWS to build out new F1 cars. They were also able to take a lot of that information coming in and then pass it out into broadcasts. So now you can see things like engine temperatures and speed and tire rotations and how much life is left in a tire for any anybody that's F1 fans. Um, 
it also helps you gauge how well your drivers are doing based on like fatigue and time on road and things like that. So there's a whole heap of information being able to be, get processed uh, during these kinds of large partnerships. And, you know, F1 and yeah, AWS is a really good one, maybe because I love F1 uh, racing. And it was really good. It was really cool to see two um, organizations that wouldn't necessarily fit together, finding that synergy to to work together to do something better. Um, it, it'll be really interesting, like Keith said, to see the innovation as time moves on. So to connect the dots back to some of the examples I laid out during the introduction of today's episode, uh, clearly there seems to be some disconnect or um, at least a challenge with how to maintain the security of data once it makes it to the cloud, or at the very least understand who has the responsibility, right, to maintain security of that data. And because of those gaps, things fall through the cracks, and then we have challenges. So I'm curious, once telco's sensitive data uh, does make it to the cloud, uh, who is protecting consumers' data, right? Are there mechanisms in place to ensure that responsibility over the data is maintained what is the strategy and uh, typical operation there yeah so uh, i'd like to talk about the well this kind of brings the focus back onto the uh, shared responsibility model and with all all cloud providers there is that sense of shared responsibility where we the provider does part of it like they maintain things like physical security uh, access to their uh, data centers, um, proper employee vetting, and they maintain that part of the application. Then on the front end, on the customer side, the user, uh, you have to make sure that you configured correctly. You're using best practices. Um, you have to make sure that you're using a well-architected framework uh, for a lot of these uh, implementations. That is one way to ensure that your data is safe. Another thing is to make sure that the data that you're putting out there is in a format that is either anonymized or in a state of constant monitoring and protection. Right. So when you follow in some of these, uh, these some of these principles, you want to have good foundations. Um, you want to make sure you have proper access rules. You want to have, make sure you have uh, things like constant detection going on. You want to make sure you have proper data segmentation and know what data you have out on, on the cloud. Uh, all of these kind of tie into that model. And really, if you do it well, if you construct it well, then it will be protected well, rather than always trying to toss. Uh, what I've seen before, what I've seen recently and for a long time is they build something and then you try to make it as secure as you can on top of it uh, when really it should have been architected well from the start. And that is where a lot of technical debt uh, gets carried from implementation to implementation. So one of the key things there is trying to be sure when making some of these moves, uh, especially where data is concerned. And I'll expand on what Damien just shared because the shared responsibility model is such a foundational opportunity for organizations to really look and bake in security 
from the start of how they're architecting applications. And the reason the shared responsibility model is so important is because it really models security based on different risks you might experience in the cloud. So for example, um, if I have a workload in the cloud, not only do I need to make sure that that workload is secure where it's configured properly, um, so it's not running with too many privileges, um, it meets all my different compliance standards, but I also wanna make sure that I address any vulnerabilities in the host operating system or in other um, important components that are part of that workload or application. But at the same time in the cloud, I need to look at which user with which privileges has the ability to update that workload or application. And so that really brings in another set of standards that would be covered in the shared responsibility model. Just like you would have to make sure you secure the network communications to and from that workload and application. And so the shared responsibility model really provides a lot of guiding principles that help organizations really address the different risks or threat vectors that they might experience in the cloud to make sure that they really understand, you know, what part of that security model they're responsible for. Well, speaking of, where do you see room for improvement around defining some of those security responsibilities? And uh, how do you see that intersecting with uh, some of the day-to-day challenges that telcos have? I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, one of the big opportunities organizations have is to understand the full application lifecycle of these new architectures like containers and Kubernetes and how these architectures can ultimately allow them to release applications that are secure by design. And so this really builds on some of the things that we've shared in previous answers where the cloud does allow you, if you approach it with a secure by design mindset, that you can improve the overall security of your applications when you're deploying and running them. So for example, you have a big opportunity to integrate with your developer and DevOps team's toolkits where you can look for vulnerabilities and misconfigurations early before an application is deployed. So if you're a developer, you can get this feedback right inside all the technology you're using every day, rather than waiting for the security team to send you an alert, send you an email, or walk down the hall and tell you about how you could have improved the overall risk posture of an application. You can even in the cloud set rules governing who has access to which resource, which account group, and make sure that only the right people can access the right tools with the right permissions. And so this really prevents someone gaining an over-permissioned access account where they could really do a lot of harm or they would potentially have this account that could be compromised leading to a lot of problems for your organization. So I think if you really look at things holistically, where you're embracing that notion of secure by design, you can improve your overall security output when you approach these things in a new holistic way. And so I see that as a huge opportunity as organizations potentially evaluate some of their security mindsets as they move and take advantage to the cloud. So we've seen the consequences of not architecting uh, applications well time and time again. Um, there have been large data breaches by several companies um, from things like open S3 buckets uh, because it was done in a dev test environment and then it made it to production somehow. Um, we've seen situations where somebody left um, their 
system password in there. So the, the base system password, system system, or password password. And then some uh, nefarious attacker decides to, to, to take over using that and bring down entire applications. Um, I think some of what Keith was saying is having that security built in while you're doing development inside of those pipelines is one of the key things, right? So it's more integration in today's world of development that you want to see. There's almost an over-communication that needs to happen between the different teams as, lo- as, as the pipeline is being deployed. Um, that not only shares extra information, but it also keeps everybody aware of what the other teams are doing. So, you know, you don't have to wait on the actual security team to look into things. Uh, you have that detection already available for you. And the other key part of, you know, having detection and data protection is how do you respond to incidents, right? So the other side of it is the incident responses. How do you prevent this from happening again, even after you've detected it? What is the steps in place? How do you prepare for disaster? Um, Is your team running through these kinds of disaster scenarios? What happens if uh, data center burns down or somebody gets access to the code? How, what is, what is there in place to mitigate these kinds of things? So now let's expand the conversation back out a little bit uh, away from telcos, but feel free to continue to intersect some specific telco examples. Uh, If you had to define which security pillars are the most critical on the cloud compared to other leading digital networks, what would those most critical pillars be and why, in your opinions? For me, it would be foundations, how well architected it is. Um, this usually involves a lot more thinking on the front end. Um, it usually involves more planning and less actual doing. Um, but thinking 10 steps ahead is usually way better than having to deal with a response after it's well done into production. Um, the other one is uh, identity access, identity and access management. Uh, roles and access being clearly defined. Um, Having that, you know, one particular role and that person in that role doing that one particular thing. Also, uh, having access to the right amount of data. So you want to toss a word out there. Uh, You want to approach things with a zero trust kind of mindset where uh, you have what you need for your particular job. And if that changes, then if your job changes, then your roles need to change accordingly. And that is where the security team gets involved to help get you into the right role and the right level of access. Um, next one, I think, is detection. Um, just knowing when something's wrong, monitoring. So being able to tell when something isn't right, um, to feel the disturbance in your force as it is. And then uh, it, how, how do you def- defend that right how do you come back around and say all right we've we've managed to run into an incident uh, we we found um take an example here found an s3 bucket open what is the remedy do we auto remediate some of these things do we remediate and then follow up with a response be it um you know it was something that was pulled in by a developer for a particular process 
um, you do code checks. Um, there's a number of different ways that we could respond to this uh, moving forward. But the, the key thing here is being able to identify and then being able to have a proper measured response for the incidents. And to expand on what Damien just shared, because I really think he hit on many of the key talking points, identity access management is a big one in the cloud that every organization needs to approach in a really comprehensive way. And we see it as one of the biggest challenges with a lot of the organizations that we work with. Um, in the cloud, not only do you have to worry about the identity of your users, but you also have to worry about all of their different permissions on top of your cloud platforms and all of the different account groups or resources that they might have access for. And so, for example, if I, Keith, am onboarded to an organization, I might be given different access keys tied to my cloud entitlements, and those keys may or may not be accurate um, at you know every single point in time going forward. So what happens in several weeks or several months when I've potentially been given access to different projects, and you have to go back and look at me as a user and understand what activity has Keith been doing with his cloud accounts, and does he have the right type of access? So that auditability really becomes a big challenge to make sure that you're creating user accounts in a least privileged way. I think the other big one that relates to what Damien shared about incident response is, if I do have an incident, am I able to capture all of the right cloud data to ensure that I've properly contained um, the incident itself? I wanna make sure that any data isn't taken down if I'm responding to an incident. So you really need purpose-built tools in order to make sure you capture the right information as logging and you know, um, incident response management definitely changes things in the cloud. But at the same time, you wanna be able to go back and look and see how were different resources configured? Um, was there a vulnerability that was part of this application? Was there a misconfiguration that could have provided an opportunity for an attacker? And then finally, how do you improve that overall if it's present in other parts of your infrastructure or in other environments? So that notion of auditability and traceability really comes up a lot where organizations need to be really mature in their approaches as everything is moving you know, at heightened scale and very quickly in the cloud. So we've been talking about the efficacy and the use cases for migrating over to a cloud network infrastructure. Let's offer the flip side perspective, right? If you had to lay out some of the most consequential effects, what would be some of the security impacts today, as well as moving forward, right, trying to anticipate some of the coming needs of not moving to the cloud. So companies that don't move to the cloud, what are going to be some of the most consequential security impacts today and tomorrow and why? Uh, I'd say lack of scale and resiliency for cost. Um, lack of scale being is not necessarily a security impact if you look at it from the front. But then when you talk about we're going to make the, the organization several times larger in magnitude, then you have to worry about the security impact of that. Um, let's take physical security. Um, if you're expanding the size of a building, for instance, you have to worry about every single point of entry, um, control data access. Uh, you have to worry about things like how do you secure uh, data ports? Uh, how do you secure machines? Um, 
just from a physical security standpoint, that starts to be a problem as you scale. If you're running inside of cloud, however, that aspect of the physical security gets taken care of for you by the shared responsibility model. All you have to worry about is make sure that people have the right access to the right applications at the right point in time. Um, next one I'd say is cost. Uh, as you scale, um, cost is going to be a factor. Um, again, physical security, actual other kinds of security that you're going to put in place, things like firewalls and that, that stuff. Um, most of these cloud providers already have these things built in and on top of their platforms. And that is the cost of purchasing those and securing your application in the cloud is generally way cheaper than actually having to do it yourself because it not only involves having to buy the equipment, but run the equipment, have the necessary uh, high level of uh, staffing that is needed to do that kind of protection, 24 uh, seven monitoring, um, most of it, if they have to build applications, are going to have to build, be home built. That's development time. It's all that stuff that is already available in the cloud. So those are some of the big ones from 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 the way I see it. Yeah, I think one of the key answers for me, on top of everything Damien just shared, is really your approach when it comes to the cloud. And for all of the benefits that Damien just described. That's why ultimately organizations are going to make the move. Scale, cost, and advantages in time to market. But at the same time, security needs to adopt the approach that they need to embrace this shift. And the reason is if they don't, development leadership, DevOps teams, um, and infrastructure teams will ultimately make that choice for the organization because they're trying to please all of their stakeholders and release their you know, business applications to market as quickly as possible. And so they're gonna be moving to the cloud and cloud native architectures. And so I think security needs to really embrace that change mindset where if they don't embrace it, they're gonna be left behind and never be included in the process where they're constantly gonna be playing catch up. And with everything we've described today, that's gonna to be a really big challenge. And so for me, when I look at the consequences of not moving to the cloud, it's ultimately an inevitability where security needs to embrace it and recognize we're going to be moving to the cloud. How can I make sure that's as secure as possible for the different areas of the business that I need to support? I want to talk uh, high profile cloud outages as of late to frame some insights around what is and isn't working as companies maneuver this migration to cloud security. Uh, so one big example was Fastly, which is a content delivery uh, network provider or CDN. They went dark in June, which caused major sites like BBC, Pinterest and uh, Reddit in some areas to come down which I think really shows just how necessary uh, consistency is across the cloud. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious what your key takeaways are from that Fastly example or from some, some other uh, high-profile outages uh, and how you think this should inform cloud security strategies. Okay, so uh, the, coming out of that, uh, there was a few key things that they, they realized uh, happened. Um, one was there were some code security issues and it led to... Uh, deployment pipelines being 
configured with that bad code and it making it out into production. So some of the things that could be could have been done. Um, they could have employed uh, better code security or better uh, code security monitoring. Um, as everything starts to be codified now, infrastructure, um, your, all your containers and things like that, you have to have better checks and you can't have humans doing it all the time. Uh, sometimes some of these things have to be automated. Um, and then when you're deploying uh, pipelines uh, to do deliveries, uh, those should also go through a regular set of tests as well, right? Um, one of the things that we traps, I think, we fall into as as DevOps is you know fail often and, and fail fast, right? So you make a change, change goes out, it's bad. You fix it, it goes out again. Um, but in the case of Fastly, that was a, a very large footprint, right? Uh, Reddit was down for a little while. Uh, lots of people like myself was lost. Uh, we didn't have Reddit uh, coming up, so it was bad for us. But that just goes back to show that there is this innate need to have things delivered in a faster time frame. And speed is important, but at the same time, being secure is, is important as well. So it's how do we ensure security? How do we make sure that we're testing that secure code before it goes out? How do we do better detection of things like bugs and remediation? So, you know, these are some of the things I would say we should should look at. Again, I'll, I'll use another threat vector as an example that we've seen from a lot of potential organizations. Um, and you could certainly do web searches on this to see the latest research. But one of the you know common scenarios we see is organizations falling susceptible to an attacker who just want to use their compute resources in the cloud to mine cryptocurrency. And so if you have an insecure workload or an insecure um, access point, they mainly just want to rack up charges on your behalf to capture cryptocurrency mining. And so one of the you know organizations was essentially hit because they didn't change their uh, their defaults um, to one of their servers. And so that's a perfect scenario where the threat vectors can be vast, but one of the ones that's common is this notion of crypto mining. And here again, if you don't have the right compliance standards and compliance checks in place to identify those insecure defaults, it can lead to a lot of different problems. And so I think it's really organizations understanding how all those foundational components can really impact security in lots of different ways. I think I want to add on just a little bit there again. You know, one of, one of the things that we haven't really talked about in, in any of this so far is uh, technical debt. So that's one thing that gets carried all the time uh, in every single every single product, every single project uh, is that technical debt, and it's usually coming from um, things being needed to get to market. So that time to market thing, uh, that time to market value is usually shortened by other parts of the business, oper other business operators inside the organization. And what we need to do is we need to understand that there's a thin line that needs to, to be walked uh, when looking at technical debt, because there is the kind of technical debt that is nice to have. And then there's the kind of technical debt that needs to happen, which doesn't necessarily bring 
face value or things that you could see physically in the product, but it helps build that better foundation uh, that helps keep that security posture going, that reduces that attack vector. Um, a common thing that you see in some code sometimes uh, from developers, if you, if you look at read code comments, you know, like change this, uh, update this library, um, we need to do a better job here, talk to somebody else uh, about this. Uh, this is a sketchy implementation. Let's see how we can do this better. And those things keep getting carried on. And usually because of that time to market delivery schedule, um, they don't necessarily come back in to get fixed. And that's also you know, uh, um, a place to start uh, tweaking and pulling into the mindset of how do we make the organization better. All right, Keith, Damien, we're just about done with our conversation. Thank you for all your insights so far. My last core question here is just to offer some actionable tips for our listening audience so they can take the insights that we've broken down today and apply them into some some strategies that they can get to work on basically as soon as possible. So what would be some actionable strategies you would offer listeners for managing the security of the cloud today? And, uh, you know, if they could make investments or potentially changes to some of their operations, which should they pursue and prioritize and why? Um, so... To me, one of the big ones is mind shift, right? Uh, the first step is change how you think about cloud. Um, the concepts, uh, the way that it's deployed, learn about the shared responsibility model, have that different mindset towards the technology because it is not traditional uh, in terms of brick and mortar, I go buy a server, stick it in a room. That's how it is. There is a lot more to, to learn. Um, we need to look at uh, cloud benefits, uh, how to reduce uh, time to market, uh, you know, less files, more strategy, um, you know, how to increase margins by reducing cost. Um, then you need to wrap goals wrap those corporate goals. Those goals need to come from higher up. Like corporate needs to make a decision to say, okay, these are the things we want to achieve. How do we meet them? Uh, how do we get to those unmet needs? Who are our stakeholders? Those will be main drivers in adopting the cloud throughout the organization. Um, assess the current state of your current IT infrastructure or current IT staffing. Um, is anybody trained in cloud technology? If they are, which ones are they trained in? Do, do they need more training? Um, what is the current state of your infrastructure or, or your IT? Uh, there's tons of companies that could come in and help with the assessment and see if you are ready to make that step or if there's changes that need to happen internally before you make that step. Um, next thing is prioritizing what gets moved and how it gets moved. Um, not because you can do it means you should do it. Um, not because you can move an application into cloud means you should move the application. Um, risk assessment, security and compliance, um, availability and reliability, data integration. Um, and then another key one with that mind shift is communication. 
across the entire organization. Like you have to start to over communicate because that also helps with changing the way the organization thinks and looks at uh, the cloud cloud uh, infrastructure, right? Leverage channels that you currently have. Um, pull in customers um, that you, that have been customers for a long time. Uh, help them to help you find the path that's forward. Uh, choose the right messengers um, uh, of how to carry the message of we're moving to the cloud or we're going to shift. And then the right messengers could be people in different parts of the organization, uh, the right customers that you want to use, the right business partners. How do you get that messaging out? Um, and then, you know, I'd say go ahead and implement. Because at this point in time, you follow these things and you have a clear roadmap of where you need to get to. You have uh, the mindset uh, in, inside the entire company from top to bottom. Uh, you've ranked your goals very clearly. You've prioritized what needs to happen. You've gotten a strategy. You've aligned yourself with the right partners. And then you start, you start to do things. You actually start to move in that direction. And then uh, with right champions, uh, like Keith and myself, uh, inside companies helping to drive that change in mindset, then, you know, slowly but surely you will get there. And I think on that note, that does it for our conversation today on Fiberside Chat. So thank you so much to both of you for helping us maneuver this conversation on cybersecurity, on cloud security. Some of the challenges that we see various industries, specifically telcos, uh, facing as they try to migrate to the cloud, and of course, some strategies for how to maneuver this environment with ease. So thank you again to our two guests, Damian Harry-Law, Solutions Engineer for 3GIS, as well as Keith Mokris, Director of Product Marketing for Prisma Cloud at Palo Alto Networks. Damien, if folks want to find out a little bit more about some of the work that 3GIS is doing in this space, uh, how can they do so? Uh, you can visit our website at 3-GIS.com. Uh, there you will find us and all the things that we're working on. Fantastic. Easy enough. And for Keith, if you want to find out more information about some of the work that he and his team are doing with Prisma Cloud at Palo Alto Networks, you can find more at their website, paloaltonetworks.com. Again, paloaltonetworks.com. So Keith, Damien, thank you again for your time. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, or like Damien said, if you want to get some more information on the various touch points we broke down today around cloud security, head to our website, 3-GIS.com. Again, the number 3-GIS.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Fiberside Chat.